Well, I want to say good morning to all of you in the building. I'm really proud of you. You know, I have a new name for Sundays like this when I get up this morning. I call them Zoom Sundays. Zoom, okay, so I know a lot of you are Zooming. You say, well, it's wet, rainy, for every, you know, drop of rain that falls, a Baptist stalls. So, uh, you know, I'm just thankful for those of you who came, those of you who are here. Those of you who are Zooming, hope you're warm and comfy, but we are glad that you've joined us today in our last series that we've been in, I'll talk about in a moment. But over the last few weeks, we've all been wrestling with a question that every mall Santa is now sick of asking. In fact, I was so, I kind of felt sorry for Santa yesterday. I, we went up to, the, to this outlet mall up in Dawsonville yesterday afternoon and do some last minute shopping. And they have a, like a food court there. And Santa is sitting there. And I went in, got a drink, and nobody was seeing Santa. And I hung around for a while, and nobody was seeing Santa. And I left and came back. He was still sitting there, and nobody was seeing poor little Santa. And I felt so sorry for him. And, uh, but anyway, you know, we, we all asked that, you know, what do you want for Christmas? And it's a super easy question to answer when you're a child. But honestly, the older you get, it really gets a whole lot more complicated because most of us would probably say, as we get you know, older, we don't really need anything. And quite frankly, we're a lot more picky than children are. Children are pretty much happy whatever you get them for the most part. But we're real picky. And because we know, we, listen, everybody in this room, I guarantee you're going to get one gift you didn't want. You didn't ask for it. You don't know why they gave it to you, but you're going to get a gift that you didn't want. As a matter of fact, according to a recent poll, more than a third of adults will return an unwanted gift this year. As a matter of fact, this blew me away. Americans are going to spend this year a whopping $15.2 billion, that's with a B, billion dollars on presents they didn't want. So a lot of you busted it yesterday and got a present they're going to take back. They didn't want it. They didn't ask for it. And according to this study, by the way, the number one most unwanted type of gift people get is clothing. So, word to the wise. If you're thinking, even thinking about getting me a sweater, just give me a gift card. Okay, if you'll do that, that would be great. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, when it comes to Christmas, there are some gifts that all of us should want to receive. We've been in a series that we have been calling All I Want for Christmas. What we've been talking about is, is, is the three things the Lord brought to my mind that we ought to want for Christmas. As a matter of fact, I've said to you over and over, I really believe if God would give us these three things on a daily basis, I don't know that we would ever, ever want for anything else. I mean, what else could you want? I don't know of any gifts that we've talked about in the last couple of weeks that could be any better, any sweeter, that would bring more joy to your life or impact your life greater. Now, if you've not been a part of our series, you don't know what we've been talking about. Let me just go back and review. I said there are three things I want for Christmas. Number one, I said I want a redeeming faith. I want the kind of faith, a real faith, not a head faith, but a heart faith. I want the kind of faith that I know really connects me to the God that created me and the God that loves me. And, and, and I mean a faith that really changes me into what I need to be. And then last week, we talked about a resilient hope. Everybody has hope. We all need hope. We all want hope. And I said, you know, I want the kind of hope where I know I can put that hope somewhere where it will not disappoint me. I will get everything that I hope for. And we talked about that last week. But the last gift, and I saved it last, I saved the best for last. The last thing I want for Christmas is a real love. I mean a real love. Now, that may sound like cliche at first, but I'm not talking about the kind of love you see in a rom-com. 
I'm not talking about the kind of love they sing about in some of these country songs. You ever hear some of these country songs about, I mean, some of the titles of these songs blow my mind. I read one the other day, I just flushed you from the toilet of my heart. Who, who thinks up songs like that? I mean, you know, if you're going to leave me, would you walk out backwards so you th- I'll think you're coming in? Who, who, makes up, who makes up things like that, you know? And, and I read one yesterday. I'm so miserable without you, it's the same as when you're with me. I mean, who, who, who thinks about things like that? But when you listen to these songs, they're not about love, they're about lust. So I'm not talking today about the kind of fleeting love that's here today and gone tomorrow. I'm not talking certainly about the kind of love that you'll see in a Hollywood movie or you'll see in a, in a sitcom or you'll see in a soap opera. I'm not talking about a conditional love that you say, okay, I love you as long as things go my way. I love you as long as you do this or you do that. I want to talk to you today about a kind of love that is unconditional, that is irrevocable, that is transformational. Now, here's the secret. You're going to learn today that real love comes from above. Real love comes from above. This is not something you can manufacture. This is not something you can learn out of a book. This is not something you can just kind of will yourself to do. Real love comes from above. And I'll tell you why this is such a big deal. We now know, psychologists now know this, social studies have shown us that love is just as essential to life as water and as air and as food. That's an observable fact. The problem is, when I read what the world calls love, and I read what God says about love, they are two totally different things. And you're going to find out today that maybe we don't love as many people as we ought to. And even those we say we love, maybe we don't love them in the way that we ought to. Maybe we don't love in, in, you know, in, in, as many, we, maybe we don't love as much as we ought to. We've all heard that old saying, love makes the world go round. I don't know if that's true or not, but I'll tell you what, love makes the trip a lot more fun, and love makes the trip a lot more meaningful. So today we're going to look at what God's Word says about what real love is. And I want to invite you, if you brought a copy of God's Word, or when you pull out your iPad or your phone, I want you to turn to a book called 1 Corinthians. It's in the New Testament. It's about six or seven books over from Matthew. I want you to turn 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And as we study this passage for a moment, I want us all to ask ourselves this question. Am I really the loving father, the loving mother, the loving husband, the loving wife, the loving son, the loving daughter, the loving brother, the loving sister that I think I am? Because what we're all going to do today, and I had to do it for myself, we're going to go through a love checkup. We find this in a book called 1 Corinthians. Paul wrote this. His life was changed for The reason why I know Paul knew what love was about, he actually wrote about the kind of love that he experienced one day on a Damascus road that changed his life forever. And so in this chapter, he's going to tell us what real love is. And what I want us to do is just ask ourselves a question. So how does my love what I think is love, measure up to the real love that comes from above. So the question is, do I have real love? Well, if we do, three things will be true of us. Number one, we will see the necessity of love. If you understand what real love is, you will see the necessity 
a love. Now, we're in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul begins in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now, there's a word that Paul uses nine times in this chapter. It talks about love. It's a word that's spelled A-G-A-P-E in the Greek language. It is agape love. That's a word that's rarely found outside of the Bible. You know, the Greeks basically had two words for the word love. One is the word eros. You can guess what that means. It's erotic. It's the kind of love that, 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 that the kind of a sexual love that one man, you know, gives to a, a woman. And then there's this philo love. That's a, a friendly love. Philadelphia is brotherly love. Philos means the love that one good friend and affection has for another good friend. Now, both of those kind of loves, erotic love and philo love, they are dependent on the person that's being loved. So in other words, you don't normally give sexual love to someone if you don't love them and you're not attracted to them. You don't really give Philo's kind of love to someone if, if, you know, if you don't really care for them and you don't like them. But agape love is different. The word that Paul uses to describe love is a love that means you make a deliberate choice to love the other person, whether they love you back or not whether they act lovable or not, whether you think they deserve your love or not. This is the kind of love that you say, I am going to love you regardless. It has nothing to do with the worthiness of the person that's being loved. As a matter of fact, this is the kind of love that you give and you expect nothing in return. I'm going to love you no matter what, no matter what you say to me, no matter what you do to me, no matter how you treat me, I'm going to love you no matter what. It is a love that cannot be killed. It's a love that never dies. It's a fire that cannot be extinguished. And then Paul, to make this point really strong, he makes this incredible statement. And in fact, you can almost boil it down to like a, a, a mathematical equation. Here's basically what Paul just tells us. Life minus love equals nothing. Life minus love equals nothing. Paul says, you know what? It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't really matter how well you do it. He said, what I want to know is, why do you do it? What's the motive behind your method? And Paul lists all these things, and you may think they're kind of random, but this is actually in the middle of a section where Paul's been dealing with spiritual gifts. If you want to know, why does he pick out these certain activities? Well, he's been talking about spiritual gifts. So he talks about the gifts of tongues, you know, and, and the gift of prophecy, and the gift of faith, and the gift of giving. He even talks about dying. And here's what Paul says. He said, you may have all of these spiritual gifts, but if you're not bearing the spiritual fruit of love, it means nothing. I pastored for a long time, and I'll tell you what I've learned. I've learned people are really, really interested and really impressed with spiritual gifts. And I get more questions about spiritual gifts. I get a lot of, you know, hey, what, is, what does it mean to speak in tongues? What is the gift of prophecy? What is this gift? What is that gift? And we're all kind of real interested in spiritual gifts, and we're all impressed with spiritual gifts. You know what I've learned? We're concerned with spiritual gifts. God's concerned with spiritual fruit. 
God says, you know, I don't care what your gift is. And by the way, I give the gifts anyway. I know what gifts you have. I don't want to know what gifts you have. I want to know what fruit you bear. We're impressed with what people do. God is impressed with why people do it. He wants everything to be motivated by love, everything. When I was a younger pastor, there was a time I was a younger pastor, by the way. And when I was a younger pastor, it's been about, I don't know, probably about close to 30 years ago, I happened to be one of the leaders in our denomination. And uh, we were driving somewhere to preach together. And I said, hey, can I ask you a question? I said, he's a good bit older than I am. I said, if you could give me one piece of advice as a young pastor, what would you tell me? I'll never forget what this, this great, great man of God told me. Matter of fact, he said, James, you better write this down. And I did. I got out. I had, in fact, I had, a little, I had a little Bible with me. I wrote it in front of my Bible. Here's what he told me. He said, James, whatever you do, you better do it because you love Jesus. Because if you don't, you're going to wind up a bitter old man. Whatever you do, you better do it for Jesus. Because if you don't, you'll wind up a bitter old man. I've known so many pastors that quit the ministry, got out of the ministry. They don't go to church. They're bitter toward the church. You know why? Because they got the anonymous letters. They got the ugly phone calls. All they heard was criticism after criticism after criticism. And they took the attitude, look at all I've done for you. I've married your dead. I've married your, 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 your daughters and sons. I have buried your dead. I've been there when you needed me. I was at the hospital. I preached my heart out. I did all these things. You never gave me a raise. You never told me you loved me. You never told me you appreciated me. All you ever do was criticize me. All you ever did was find what I did wrong, never what I did right. And they quit the ministry. And the problem they made and the mistake they made was this. They didn't do it because they love Jesus. And I want to say this. I'm not a superman. I'm not trying to, the church, listen, by and large, with some pockets in between, the, my, church, my churches have been great to me, people have been wonderful to me, you know, and I've not had to put up with a lot of what other pastors have put up with, but I can honestly look at you and I and tell you, everything I've ever done for the church, I've done it for one main reason, because I love Jesus. I don't need watches when I retire, I don't need this, I don't need that, I don't need a bunch of thank you letters, I mean, I'm always glad to get it. That's not why I do what I do, because he's exactly right. If you ever get to the point where you say, well, they didn't appreciate me. They didn't do this. Why didn't they give me that? Why didn't they let me do that? Why didn't they say this? Why didn't they say that? You did it for the wrong reason. That's why Paul said, you know what? If you did all of this for any other reason than that you just love people and love others, it's a waste of time. See, the two greatest commandments, Jesus said, are all about love. We ought to love God, and we ought to love people. We ought to love people because we love God. And so Paul says, you may speak eloquently and you may think brilliantly and you may behave cleanly and you may give generously. You may even die valiantly. But if you don't have love, you're nothing. If you have real love, you will see the necessity of love. Then, Paul says, we will show the reality of love. If you have real love, you'll see the necessity of it. Man, the most important thing about me is love. I've got to be a person of love. And then he said, you've got to show the reality of love. So here's what Paul does. He gets down to the nitty-gritty of what real love looks like. <clears throat> and he gives us this exhausted list of the characteristics of real love. Now, here's what he does. Some he describes positively. Some he describes negatively. He said, you know what? There are some things that real love does do, and there's some things that real love doesn't do. 
There are some things that real love practices, and there are some things that real love prohibits. And so as we go through this list, and by the way, it's going to be painful because it was painful for me, but as we go through this list, every time we go through a, a, a characteristic of love, I want you to ask yourself this question. How's my love life? How's my love life? All right, here we go. Number one, love is, say that out word, <laughs> love is patient. Love is patient. Mark Twain said kindness, uh, Mark Twain said that patience is something we all ought to have. As a matter of fact, the word for patient is composed of two words. Really interesting. The first word is the word themia. It gives us the word thermometer. It's the word themia. And the other word is the word macro. It gives us the, you know, which is the opposite of micro. So what the word patient means, it literally means long-tempered. So in other words, what Paul says was, look, if you've got real love, you'll have a long fuse. It takes real love a long time to get it to a boiling point, a long time to get angry. So in other words, if you really love someone, you always want to give grace before you give grief. So, how's your love life? Love is patient. Then he said, love is kind. Mark Twain said, kindness is a language which the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Love has a very high kindness quotient. In other words, Paul said, love doesn't just react with kindness, it acts with kindness. By the way, you know something I've learned about being kind to people? If I've learned anything in life, when you're kind to people, it pays off. I'm just telling you right now, it just pays off. Someone once said, kindness is a hard thing to give away. It keeps coming back to the giver. Love is kind. How's your love life? Here's the next one. Love doesn't envy. Love's not jealous of anyone else for any reason. Now, I'll be honest, I was studying for this message, and I, I was laughing, and Teresa came in and said, what's so funny? And I said, you know, I, I guess I know this is so bad, I know this is wrong, but I said, I am so thankful for jealousy. I just thank God for jealousy. And she said, why? And, and then she stopped. She said, oh, I know. See, she started dating a guy in high school in the 10th grade, beginning of the 10th grade. They went study in the 10th grade, and they went study in the 11th grade. And they were talking about marriage, and they were going to get married. As soon as they graduated, they were going to get married. The only problem was this boyfriend had an insane jealousy issue. He was so jealous of Teresa. I mean, he was one of those guys. If he even saw a guy smiling at Teresa, he would accuse her of flirting with him. And, and, and he didn't want anybody talking. You know, that kind of just real, 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 real possessive. Well, you know, finally one day they got into a big argument. She got enough, and she finally said, you know what? I think you ought to go your way. I'll go my way. You ought to date, and I ought to date. And, and usually, you know, he, he would, uh, you know, she, he, he would say, okay, and she'd kind of melt down. Say, no, I didn't really mean it. But this time she was mad enough. She said, yeah, let's do it. God's so good. <laughs> the guy that she dated that very night is the one guy he couldn't stand more than any other guy. And they broke up permanently. And I'm married to the woman I'm married to today because he blew it. <laughs> now... Here's the point, seriously. If you really love someone, you won't be jealous of them. You don't have to be. As a matter of fact, if you really love someone, even though they're being blessed more than you are, you'll rejoice. But if you have this attitude, well, why did he get that? Why didn't I get that? Why didn't I get that promotion? Why didn't I get that raise? Then you don't really have love. You've got a love deficit. Love does not 
Envy. How's your love life? He keeps going. <clears throat> love doesn't boast. When you got real love, let me tell you this, and this is hard for some of us, <clears throat> you don't have to be the center of attention. You don't have to let others know how important you are, how wealthy you are, how cool you are. Someone once said of Theodore Roosevelt, he wants to be the bride at every wedding, the corpse at every funeral, and the baby at every christening. You know, love will always see other people as more important than themselves. Love doesn't boast. How's your love life? Then he says, love does not dishonor others. That word dishonor means shameful. It means disgraceful behavior. It's real simple. Paul said, you know what real love is? Real love is courteous. Real love is gracious. Real love never tries to show anybody up. Real love never tries to put anybody down. Real love doesn't cut in line. Real love is always respectful. How's your love life? And then he goes on. Love is not self-seeking. If anything defines true love, it's this. Love is a selfless love. Love is saying to this person, I'm loving you before you love me. I'm loving you whether or not you do love me. Real love is always seeking, what can I give to the other person, not what can I get from the other person. So many marriages fail because when two people get married, deep down, they both went into it with the same bad attitude. What can you give me rather than what can I give you? Paul said, real love is not self-seeking. It always puts the needs of others before your own. How's your love life? Then he says this. This was hard. Love is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. That word, by the way, keeping a record, is a bookkeeping term. It literally means what it says. Love doesn't keep a ledger. Love doesn't keep a list of people who've hurt you. Love doesn't keep a list of the wrongs that someone's done to you. Love doesn't hold a grudge. See, love not only has a long fuse, it has a short memory. It is quick to forgive. It is quick to forget. How's your love life? He, dig, he digs deeper. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. Now, I want you to hear this. This is where real love gets tough. Look, let me, let me stop and say this. If you had already figured this out, real love is not easy. Real love is not easy. That's why I've told you, real love comes from above. This, some of this is not easy. This is where love gets tough. Because here's how you know you really love somebody. You ready? You really love somebody when you're willing to tell them the truth even if you know they will not want to hear it. But it's also being willing to receive the truth if you don't want to hear it. I'll let that settle for just a minute. Real love rejoices with the truth. So when you're rebuked and you need to be, you know that person loves you. When you're corrected and you need to be, you know that person loves you. Great lesson for some of you kids here still living at home with your parents. They don't correct you and they don't discipline you because they get a kick out of it. It's not because they're sadistic. The most loving parent is a disciplining parent. 
The most loving parent is a correcting parent. You know why? Because your mom and your dad love you so much, they want you to be the best person you can be. And by the way, our father is a disciplining father, like father, like son. And so he says, real love rejoices with the truth. Listen, if you've got a friend that cannot hear the truth, they're not your friend. And if you've got a friend that will not tell you the truth, they're not your friend. How's your love life? Now, I'm going to confess something that we all are thinking right now, so I'm going to join your club. Or you can join mine. I've not always been the loving husband I should have been. I've not always been the loving dad I should have been. I've not always been the loving friend I should have been. I've not always been the loving pastor that I should have been. Because I'm an imperfect human, just like you're an imperfect human. Because only God is a perfect being who loves us perfectly. But here's what I want you to hear. God doesn't just tell us he loves us. He shows us he loves us. And if you've got real love, you don't have just a say-so love. You've got a show-so love. All I want for Christmas is a real love. Not a love that I just say that I have, but a love that I show that I have. See, real love will see the necessity of love. Real love will show the reality of love. But here's the last thing. We'll wrap it up. We will share the durability of love. If you have real love, you will share the durability of love. Now, Paul was looking for a ribbon to wrap around one of the sweetest gifts in the Bible, the gift of love. So he closes with this, and this is such a great statement. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. If this makes you feel any better, when I was in my study a few weeks ago and I was working on this message, I, had to put, I just had to put everything down. And I just had to look up to the Lord and say, Lord, you know, sometimes I'm a rotten lover. I'm just not a good lover. I just had to, I mean, I just had to confess it to the Lord because there's a word that's repeated there four times, and you saw it, right? It's the word all. It's the Greek word panta. You see it all the time in the dictionary. Pantheism is the belief that God is in all things. Ladies, you have a pantry. A pantry is a cabinet where you store all things. A panacea is a cure for all things. A panoply is an array of all things. That word panta means all things. And so here's what Paul is saying. When Paul says that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, what's this? You talking about real love? He said real love is when you're always looking for the good in the other person, not the bad. Real love repels anything that could do permanent damage to the other person, that could kill the friendship, that could ruin the marriage. Because love always gives the benefit of the doubt. It always believes the best. It always looks for the sunrise, not the sunset. It always looks for victory, not defeat. And here's what Paul winds up saying. If you've got that kind of love, a real kind of love, that hopes and believes and bears all things, watch this. He said, that love never fails. That love never fails. By the way, and I'm glad they put that up because I, I, I skipped something. Let me just say this. What Paul is saying is, when, when he goes back and he said, you know, love bears and believes and hopes all things, 
When I said love always looks for the other, you know, good in the other person, it doesn't, it doesn't look for the negative. It always looks for the positive. It doesn't, listen, it doesn't look over people's faults. It overlooks people's faults. And that doesn't mean love is blind. As a matter of fact, someone will say that we put it up there. Love's not blind. It's not. Love sees more, not less, but because it sees more, it's willing to see less. The reason I know that Teresa loves me more than she loves anybody in this world, I know that. It's because she's lived with me for 45 years. She has seen me in ways I am so glad you don't ever see me. She's seen the absolute worst bad side of me. Like when we lose to Alabama at the SEC championship, I'll give you an example. I have never said a cuss word in my life, but if you'd written a word down, I would have signed it that day. She's seen me at my worst. She knows me at my worst. She knows the flaws and the faults and the failures that I am filled with, but she loves me just the same. That's what real love does. She gives me the benefit of the doubt. So Paul says, if you've got that kind of love, that kind of love, watch this. Love never fails. That's how you know you got real love. Love never fails. Now, I want to ask you a question. You ever thought about that verse and thought about it? I thought about it. the very first, one of the very first verses I taught my grandchildren to learn is that verse. Love never fails. Because I taught them a first before that, and they understood it. The, the, that's the second verse. The very first verse I ever taught my grandchildren, I taught all four of them this when they were just like five years old, was this verse. God is love. First verse I told them, God is love. Now you know why love never fails. Because if God is love, then real love can never fail because God can never fail. So let me tell you what that means. Real love cannot fail fail in a marriage. Impossible. Real love cannot fail in a marriage. Real love cannot fail in a home. Real love cannot fail in your work. Real love cannot fail in the church. So Paul's talked about love and, and he's got to the end of this soliloquy. It's one of the greatest things on love, maybe the greatest thing ever written on love. And then he concludes with these words. And this is why you're going to see now where I came up with all this idea. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, now these three, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now you know where I came up with these three gifts. I didn't make them up. They came right out of that passage. These three remain, Paul said, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now, here's a question. Why is the greatest of those three things love? I mean, you got to have faith to be saved. You got to have hope that you're going to make it to heaven. But why does he say, yeah, those are all good, but he said, but the greatest of these is love. Why does he say that's the greatest? All right, you'll love this. All I want for Christmas is a redeeming faith. But when I get to heaven, I won't need faith because my faith will have turned to sight. So that's gone. All I want for Christmas is a resilient hope. But in heaven, I don't need hope 
Because all the things I ever hoped for will be turned into reality. I'll have everything I've ever hoped for. So when I get to heaven, there won't be faith. I don't need faith. When I get to heaven, there won't be hope. I don't need hope. But love lasts forever. Love will be in heaven forever. Love will be in eternity forever. See, but love's like glue. It has the potential to create a bond, but only when you release it from its container. So, if you want something to stick, you got to apply it, right? If you want a stamp to stick, you got to lick it and put it on the envelope. If you want something to stick, you got to apply it. So, here is your assignment today. And I want you to do it today, not tomorrow, today, before this day is over. I want you to either write a love note to someone you know today that needs it, or I want you to make a love call to someone that you know that needs it. Or, I want you to make a love visit to someone you know that needs it. Because ever since I've been in the ministry, let me tell you a person I've never met in my life. I have never, ever met a person who regretted saying, I love you too often. I've never met anybody like that. I've never met anybody who said, man, I wish I hadn't said I love you that many times. Nobody. You won't regret that call you'll make today. You won't regret that letter you'll send today. You will not regret that visit you will make today. So let me just close with something that was written a few years ago that pretty much sums it all about love. It's by a man named Wes Seliger. You've probably never heard of him. He was an author of several books on theology. But he, read, he wrote something, and you've probably been there like I've been there, and you'll say, boy, that's exactly right. Listen to what he wrote. I spent long hours in the intensive care waiting room watching with anguished people, listening to urgent questions. Will my husband make it? Will my child walk again? How do you live without your companion of 30 years? The intensive care waiting room is different from any other place in the world, and the people who wait are different. They can't do enough for each other. No one is rude. The distinction of race and class melt away. The garbage man loves his wife as much as the university professor loves his. And everyone understands this. Each person pulls for everyone else. In the intensive care waiting room, the world changes. Vanity and pretense vanish. The universe is focused on the doctor's next report. If only it will show improvement. Everyone knows that loving someone is what life is all about. Could we learn to love like that if we realized that every day of life is a day in the waiting room. It is. See, there are people you're sitting next to right now. You don't know it. They put on their Sunday face. They're, they put on their game day face. They're acting like everything's cool and copacetic, but they're hurting. And they just need love. And when Christmas morning comes, many of us are going to open a present. We're going to fake a smile. We're going to say, oh, thank you for that gift. But deep down, we're thinking, you idiot, why did you give me that? I can't wait to take it back. <laughs> Don't give me that holy look. You know it's going to be there. It's our best Academy Award. Oh, I never dreamed I'd get something like that. By the way, if they say that, that's a double-edged sword. I never seen, I never thought anybody would give me a gift like that. And they're going to take it back. But <laughs> when we receive real love, the love that comes from above, listen, the kind of love that would move a God to send his son and the kind of love that would move that son to leave heaven and come to earth and the kind of man that would come not to live but to die 
And not just to die, but to die for our sins. Why? So that we can know what real love is truly all about. When you receive that kind of love, there won't be any returns. There won't be any refunds. There won't be any regrets. And that's the kind of gift you can live with forever. Would you pray with me right now with heads bowed and with eyes closed? I just want to know this. Do you know the God of love? Not just the love of God. Do you know the God of love? Do you understand this Christmas? Real love is the love that God showed us when he sent his son to die for us. Have you ever given that love back to him? Can I, can I be honest? Listen, you're watching on my camera right now. You're in this building. Real love. Here's when you know you really love God. You know you really love God when you admit that you're not a loving person, that you're a sinner. When you admit that you need to accept his love. When you admit that you've loved everything and anything and so many things more than you've ever loved him. And real love is when you finally come to the point where you say, you're going to be my supreme love for the rest of my life. I'm going to love you. I'm going to love your son. I'm going to love your spirit with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, and all of my strength. And it's when you come to that God that loves you and you say, would you please save me? Would you please take my life? Would you please forgive me of all the ways I have not loved you? Would you please, Lord Jesus, become my Savior? Would you please, Lord Jesus, become my Lord? And today and for the rest of my life, that real love that comes from above, fill me with that love for you and for everyone I ever meet forever. If you've said something like that just now, you've thought about saying something like that and you have, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you made a decision today to accept God's love into your heart, would you do something for you, not for me, for you? If you're watching on my television right now, or you're watching on uh, an iPad or a phone or a computer, if you made a decision for Jesus today, or you'd like to know more about how to follow Jesus today, do one of two things. If you'll just go to crosspointchurch.com slash decision, or if you'll just text the word Jesus to 678-255-2566, just, check, just text that name, Jesus. There will be people waiting to hear from you, and we'll help you begin to take your next step with God. If you're in this room today and you'd say, you know, I, I did pray to receive Christ. I did. I did bathe myself in his love today. Well, the very first thing that he wants you to do is to be baptized. And we're baptizing Christmas Eve, 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock. And if you would love to be baptized, I'm going to be baptizing. If you'd love to be baptized Christmas Eve, here's what I want you to do. If you either made a decision for Jesus today in this room, either to be saved or you'd say, you know, I, I do need to, I want, I do, I've never been baptized. I want to do that. That could be my Christmas gift to Jesus this year. We'll have a table out in, in the lobby called Connection Point. Just go out to that table and let them know, hey, I'd like to follow Christ in baptism. I want to be baptized. I want to trust him as my Lord and my Savior. And I've done that today, and I want to follow Jesus in baptism. If you've got a spiritual need, 
If you're one of those people that say, boy, I'm hurting and I just need somebody to pray with me. Once again, you just go out there and let them know what your need is. There are people there that will pray with you and they'll love you. Between now and Christmas Eve, do you love somebody enough just to invite them to come to one of our Christmas Eve services? Could you do that? And Father, in the name of Jesus, we've got such a golden opportunity this week not to just say we love people, but to show we love people. Give us the opportunity, especially with our ones, to do that. Lord, today, I'm going to see a one today. I pray that my one would be open and receptive to your love. And I thank you for hearing our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're going to stand to our feet in just a moment and sing our last song. Let me just say this to you real quickly. Number one, not, not so much for you, but just as a reminder, uh, 11 o'clock service on January the 2nd won't be 11 o'clock anymore. It'll be 1045. So if you have, for whatever reason, decide you want to come to later services at 1045. Number two, if you've not gotten your reservation in for Christmas Eve, you need to do that today. 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock, they're filling up pretty quick. So if you've not got your reservation in, then you'll want to do that. At, and, and then remember the last thing, and I think it's going to be all talked about again today. But our next Sunday, we'll have one service, one service at 9.15. One service next Sunday at 9.15. I hope to see you Christmas Eve. If you're traveling this week, traveling mercies to you, go out and love somebody, somebody today, and Merry Christmas to all of you.